are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Monday, everybody. A new week. Another weekend in the books. We thank you for joining us from 2 to 4 p.m. here on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. If you want to air some grievances, it's not Festivus yet, but we'll make an allowance. 334-321-1390 because it's Festivus for the rest of us as Auburn loses to South Carolina this past weekend, 21-17. Of course, hey, basketball won. Didn't look pretty, but they won. And I actually think that may be their best win of this season. Not because they played their best, but because of how they had to go out there and go and get it. We'll talk about a lot of things with you on today's show. But Lance, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing good, Noah. And like you mentioned, today we're going to air some grievances talking about what happened over the weekend with uh, with Auburn football as they lost to South Carolina. Just a really frustrating game all around. And we, we had a caller, I believe, on Friday call in and say, well, y'all just listed all these different things that Auburn does well, and it looks like they should. They, they South Carolina was outmatched. It looked like heading into the game. He's like, can that be true and Auburn still find a way to lose? And you and I were both like, absolutely. And uh, sure enough, uh, Auburn found a way to lose that game. And at the end, there was uh, apparently indisputable video evidence to overturn what was just a questionable call. Do you think it touched him? I think it did. But the fact that they ruled it the way that they did originally. The real question is, would you bet $100 that it touched him? No, no, I would not. (laughs) So I don't know if it did. I would lean on the side of, I think it touched him, but... At the same time, I think you could make the argument that it didn't. Now, I would st- to still sit in the camp that it That's did. That's not the point. We can make the argument that we don't know without a shadow of a doubt that it touched him. And yeah. that is the bar that you have to clear in order to overrule the call that was on the field. But, like many things in officiating, that just doesn't matter. Yep. It just doesn't. And so far this season in a lot of different areas for specifically SEC officiating, it's uh, it's just been a wild ride. And I think a lot of people are very frustrated with the way that officiating has gone this season. If there was somebody that was unbiased about the conference or about a team or about anything going on in college sports, if they understood it but was they were unbiased, I'm sure uh, just a, a casual observer would be like, yeah, that's ridiculous. Uh, I think a lot of people, not just in this game specifically, but in a lot of other games, I would say not even this season, but even last season as well, just really frustrated with the way that officiating has gone because I think some people were frustrated with some calls that went Auburn's way last year and you and I've talked about this a lot it just doesn't seem like Auburn's catching any breaks this year and so when that review when I saw that angle that everybody's seen where it looks pretty close like it could be touching him when I saw that I said oh it's over yep ball game (laughs) yep the fact that they even began to look at it I'm like um yeah well I literally turned the tv off and I just started finishing finishing the article I was writing I was like I don't think Auburn goes down to score and then that happened. I'm like, yep, let's just go ahead and, and start writing this article. Uh, so, yeah, it was just a really deflating moment. I was not necessarily mad or even upset in the moment. I think I've said this for the past 
two or three weeks now because Auburn's lost three games in a row. I just feel numb. I'm just like, I don't understand how that happened because I, I, it's, it was, it's just still now, even to this moment, I'm just kind of shocked at the way that everything unfolded. Auburn losers to South Carolina 21 to 17. We're taking your calls throughout today's show 334 321 1390. I'll say this about officiating, and then I kind of want to direct this conversation away from the referees, which were atrocious on that specific instance in the ballgame. Regardless of what happened on that call, you still don't know if Auburn drives the field and wins the ballgame. Also, coaches will tell you this time and time again don't put the game in the hands of a referee and Auburn didn't do anything for 3.75 quarters maybe even longer than that 3.9 quarters Auburn didn't do anything to warrant winning this football game yep the fact that you were trailing by four into the waning minutes against a team that you were so much more talented than it's a colossal failure by this coaching staff hands down I agree. Also, something that I was reading earlier today, apparently the SEC gets a $4 million bonus every single time one of their teams gets uh, bowl eligible. So that was that it, I don't want to say it was a business decision, but I don't and I don't know if that was even if the officials were aware of that. But, you know, I will say props to South Carolina, props for to uh, for them getting bowl eligible. Really really happy uh, for uh, for Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks, because you could tell just how emotional he was and how, how just proud of his guys he was. Look, they played better than Auburn. Yep. At least in every facet, with the exception of two things, run stopping and running the football. Auburn won that area of the game, but that was not enough. They played better than Auburn in every other category. You look at yards per attempt for Jason Brown, 10.5 to TJ Finley's 5.9. He had three touchdowns to TJ Finley's one, and I don't think TJ Finley played horrible. I don't know if he was put in the best positions to succeed, and that's a really tough situation to walk into mm-hmm. when you're playing an opposing team that's as fired up and as motivated as South Carolina. But I think what everybody can look at right here for all the nonsense that was being spread out on social media throughout the year and all of the calls for Bo Nix's job, I think you can at least leave this game and say, hey, the guy who was starting at quarterback all this season, he was supposed to be starting at quarterback all this season. And not to say that T.J. Finley played poor. I don't think he played poor. I think he did just fine with the situation that was surrounding him. He was missing one of his top targets at wide receiver in Kobe Hudson. He was missing an offensive lineman in Brandon Council. I don't think the play calling did him, did him a ton of favors. But at the end of the day, we're just making excuses right now. It was a colossal failure by the coaching staff. You don't lose this football game. And I don't think that this was a case of execution after the Texas A&M game, there was two camps. Execution or blame it on the coaches. And most people, I feel like, were taking the execution side of things. Then the Mississippi State game, the camp with coaching issues, that grew a little bit. People were angry, at least in specific with one unit, which was the defense. This is a game where now it's three games in a row. And if you want to bring up execution, look, man. I'll give you one game. I'll give you two games maybe. But if it's a back-to-back-to-back issue with execution, that's the point where I'm like, this has something to do with coaching. Yep. Especially when you've got as much talent on the field as Auburn does, or at least especially when they're as talented. They're more talented. They are more talented than Mississippi State and South Carolina. You can't make 
that argument to me about Gus Malzahn leaving this cupboard bare, which he did, but I'm saying that does not suffice enough for these last two losses. And my reasoning for that is Armour got up 28-3 to on Mississippi State and 14 to nothing on South Carolina. They built leads. They were better than these teams on paper going into the ballgame. You know it. I know it. Even if the cupboard is bare compared to LSU or Texas A&M or Georgia or Alabama. Now, that's true. That is true. Even maybe Ole Miss from an offensive standpoint, just because of what they've got going on and how they score against whoever that they want to. But these last two games, it's, it's a colossal failure by the coaching staff. And honestly, I, I, can't, I can't defend what has happened over the last three weeks. If Auburn had won this game over South Carolina, it helps you flip, flip the page from what happened in the Mississippi State and Texas A&M games just a little bit. But this just made it a whole lot worse. Well, I'll say on top of building a 14-point lead against South Carolina and building that 28-3 lead against uh, Mississippi State on top of that, that proved that there was still talent on roster that was better than some of these teams. But also, Auburn started the season off 6-2 and two and beat Arkansas and Ole Miss in, in, in weeks prior to what just in, um, that There's has talent unfolded. here. It's not a talent issue, it is at not, least for these last two games. It's not. For the A&M game, it is. For, for these last two, no way. The fact that Auburn started the season 6-2 and two after some people thought they wouldn't make a bowl, that proves that there either is talent on this roster or the coach, coaching staff was doing something right. One of the two, but after seeing these past two games against inferior competition, you cannot tell me Mississippi State and South Carolina are better than the likes of Ole Miss and Arkansas it is a coaching issue like these past two games Texas A&M talent execution but Mississippi State and South Carolina teams that you should beat that is a coaching issue and I think you saw at different points in this game play calling was just dumbfounding it was just why why would you why would you throw a go route into double coverage on fourth and one when your running back is averaging almost seven yards a carry and you have a six foot seven, two hundred and fifty pound quarterback in your backfield? Yeah, I don't know how that made it through security. Not only that, it gets it's in opponent territory with only so much time left in the half. What happens if South Carolina scores? Do you want that? Why would you want that? Your defense is playing good up until this point. They've only given up a touchdown. Why wouldn't you take your chances and either punt or run the ball? I just I and that's something that was a point of emphasis last week is, man, Auburn should be running the football a little bit more. And even in this game, Tank got 22 carries, but that wasn't enough. There were so many different points in this game where it's like, okay, if Auburn wants to kind of sustain success here, they should throw the ball. It's the balance of the carries for Tank that kills me. 22 is not a bad haul. 22 is a decent amount of carries. Now, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more because he had the hot hand. If you've got a guy who's averaging mm-hmm. seven and a half yards per carry, you ride that, man, especially when you've got a backup quarterback in the game that's still trying to find his way around. So I would have liked to have seen, you know, another five, six carries. And I think if you spread that out in the second and fourth quarters, maybe this game evolves a little bit differently. But it's the balance of carries. You see that he had a heavy load in the first and third quarters while Auburn is still pretty much on a script. You go into the second and fourth quarters, Auburn's off the script by that point. They're not giving him the football. And subsequently, you're trying to – the the end of the half is, is such an important time. Of course, every single quarter and every single play matters. And, and you could say opening a half and opening a ball game is very important. But as you can see, Auburn opened the ball game up 14-0. to That was a hot start the last two weeks was not enough to win Auburn games. So you can go as far as to say that the way that you end halves definitely matters in a big way. And Auburn did not end these halves well. They allowed South Carolina to get back in the ball game in the second quarter. South Carolina outscored Auburn fourteen to zero. In the second half, neither team scored in the fourth quarter. But on the most crucial drive, 
of the ball game. The last time Auburn had the football, Tank Bigsby doesn't touch it one time. And you still had time to run the ball. You were only down by four. And don't tell me that you didn't have time to run the ball because you ran the ball in the last drive of the LSU game to win it. So don't tell me that that's not in your bag of tricks and that you couldn't do that because, oh, that's just how the game played out. No, the game played out that way because you chose for it to play out that way. I think they should have been giving the ball to Tank Bigsby on that last drive. I just don't understand. I just don't understand. And then uh, you talk about any type of momentum. I don't understand why the reverses and the trick plays still come into play because the you start to get any kind of momentum for this team and all of a sudden Mike Bobo's like we need to do a reverse and it's like no every single time that we have seen that happen every single time that we have seen that happen this season it has killed momentum there has been one time this year when one of those reverses has worked that I can remember and it was in the Alabama State game yeah but you were already up by a million you you already had the game in the bag but no you start to get momentum on a crucial drive and you're like oh it's time for a reverse Two yards kills momentum. You can't do that. You can't do that. I would have thought that this coaching staff would have learned at this point that you ain't got to get cute with it, that you don't have to do that. I would have thought that this coaching staff would have learned that, but they but they didn't. They didn't. Let's head to the phone lines now, 334-321-1390. Inspector is on the line with us. What's going on, Spectre? Man, no, you fired up, son. I'm I glad am. To see you coming, I'm, see you, I'm glad to see you coming over to my side about this coaching staff. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not upset with Harson. Uh, I, I mean, I definitely think that this has been a, that this is a colossal failure on everybody on the staff, and I, and I wish people would pump the brakes about because there is some nonsense out there about people wanting to fire Harson. That's ridiculous. But because Nick Saban had a bad first year, Kirby lost to Vanderbilt in his first year. But the coordinators for me right now that they, I don't know. You can't excuse the last three weeks. The fact that this has happened three weeks away, you can't you can't excuse it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not talking about Harson. I'm talking about his coordinators, Bobo and uh, Derek Mason. I tell you, uh, I'm so frustrated right now. It's hard to even talk. But anyway, um, he needs to change his coordinators. And I believe he's going to do it mm-hmm. at the end of the season. After the Alabama game, I don't even know if we deserve even to go to a bowl game. <laughs> Doesn't feel like it. No, I mean it would be an embarrassment to play Temple or somebody like that and get our get our butt smoked. Well, I hope it's Temple and not Gus Malzahn and UCF in the Birmingham Bowl. Which, by the way, we're a loss away and a Florida loss away from that being a reality. Well, well, they'll whoop us. I'm telling you, because we got the talent. We just ain't we just ain't managing it right. And how many times did you hear Moultrie's name? I don't know if I heard it once. No, not at all. Uh, he was he, he was in on a tackle with McLean, but other than that, I, I didn't hear him all night. I, I don't know if he, he was on the field or not. Yeah, T.D. Moultrie finished the day with just one tackle. And he only got to play one half, I think, right, because of the targeting. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. But uh, that half that he played was the most important half. Yep. yep. Uh, what about Popo? Where, where is he at? I think he's hurt. Again? Yeah, I think he's been dealing with injury for the re- for for this entire season. You know, and he's somebody that I hope comes back um, because I th- I actually think I really believe his draft stock could be improved by him coming back. But he may make the move with all these injuries throughout that he's yeah, that he's had this year. It might be time to go. 
y'all remember that long run number 11 made in the second half when he got into the secondary and the secondary was like looking over to their own players. Aren't you supposed to be over there picking him up? Yep. <laughs> I mean, he's just running loose over on the right sideline. Yeah. And finally, McCurry runs him down. Yeah, as a Quandre Wright's the guy that you're talking about. He had a big day. 16 for 99, 6.2 yards per carry. And what's crazy is, you're, I'm sure you saw what Shane Beamer said after the ball game. He said they ran the same two plays for pretty much the entire second half. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you on that fourth down call. I, I, said, I said, what are you doing? Punt the ball. Punt or the or ball. give it to Tank. Yeah, yeah, even that. If, you, if you're going to go for it, Go with your best player, or quarterback sneak it with the guy who's six foot seven. Uh, it just the the what does not make sense to me is you have a backup quarterback who has not shown good deep ball accuracy, no touch, and you're like, yeah, let's chunk it up, man. Hail Mary, fourth down and one. And that just doesn't make any sense. Well, you know, TJ went on a uh, uh, either a third and one. I think it was a third and one in stretch. He got a sneak, yeah. I was just about yeah. to say they proved later in the game that it was possible by doing it. It's just so confusing to me. Yeah, I tell you, I'm not impressed with Bobo. I mean, I was I was really on the fence with him all year long, and but this game proved it for me offensively. Yep. Spectre, we appreciate the call, my man. Thank you, buddy. That was Spectre on the line with us. And if you want to call in, 334-321-1390. Look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to call for coaches to be fired. I, I just don't like to do that. Um but I will say that it was a colossal failure, and I will continue to say that, that it was a massive failure by this entire coaching staff with a lot of decisions that they made. I said earlier, I don't know how that fourth down and one call got through security. I mean, seriously, like that has to be vetted, right? Everybody's on the headset. Yep. So to, to put blame on Bobo there, sure, if he's the one calling the plays, but Brian Harson okayed it. Like Brian Harson was like, yep, we're doing this, you know? And so there's some blame to be shared there too. Um but a big part of why I, I, I don't have a huge issue with with Bobo's play calling this entire year until we've gotten into the last like two or three games. And a lot of us were praising it after that Ole Miss game. Yep. A lot of us were praising it. It's just there have been a lot of key key failures on certain calls this season, like the fade route in the Penn State game. You talk about Tank Bigsby's carry load in the Texas A&M game. You and I didn't like that in this past game. Anytime Auburn runs a trick play. Yes. It, it's like, oh. And see, that's on the coaching staff, too, because apparently they haven't repped it enough. If, if you're going to run a trick play and every single time you fail some aspect of it, you're not executing in practice well enough. I also just don't think that the reverse was set up well enough there. I no. mean, uh, Demetrius Robertson was a non-factor for pretty much the entire ball game, so I don't know what – I don't know what – compelled you to and I know he had a touchdown but I still just don't know what compels you that hey Demetrius Robertson's been running the ball well here let's go reverse I'll say two things about Mike Bobo and the coordinators I believe Harson was trying to ease the shock of, of of wading into SEC waters right and the best way to do it was to get two guys that know the landscape unfortunately the best that he could do was the head co- former head coach of Vanderbilt and the former offensive coordinator at South Carolina, and I know that he was at Georgia, but something that intern Sting pointed out during a text is like the dude had Matthew Stafford for four years and was not able to elevate Georgia in the in the program and the offense past teams like Alabama, right? And that's what Auburn fans eventually want this team to do. So long term, 
I don't think that Derek Mason or Mike Bobo were the answers. I think it was the answer for this season for Harson to get a feel of how the game works. And I think after this season, he is going to reevaluate things and he's going to go get coordinators that fit his mold now that he understands what he's working with. Jokingly, I've seen some people say Dan Mullen as OC and Ed Ogeron as DC. Look, I don't think either of those guys are coming to Auburn. But what about you, Will Muschamp? Will Muschamp. I've also heard his name thrown out there. I don't want Will, Will Muschamp back Why not? because of what happened in 2015. That's, I, I do not like the way that he runs defense. I don't like it. I don't want him back. I would rather take I would rather take Ed Ogeron over Will Muschamp. Um, and that may sound stupid to say. I just do not like the way that Muschamp operates his scheme. That's just me personally. I don't think he had the dudes at 15, and he recruited a lot of dudes into the program. That's true. He's a successful defensive mind. I I think he would work. And I don't think that he will be looking for a head coaching job anywhere anytime soon because I don't know if – He's that I don't know if he's that hireable at a big program after what happened at South Carolina. Well, so I think he might be here for longer than a year. Well, I'll say he would be better than Derek Mason. I'll say that. But I'm not saying like specifically like Ogeron or, or Mullen or get one of those guys, but you need to get somebody like that now. You need somebody that is proven in their field and that that people know, okay, whenever they bring this guy into the program, the program is going to benefit. They're going to have success because of this guy, not because his play calling and his his scheme is going to hold him back. So that's just my thought on the coordinators. I think that I think that uh, Harson made the right move for year one, and I think he's just going to have to re- reevaluate it uh, down the road. More of On the Line on the other side of this break. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. About six minutes from now, we will have Britt Bowen, Auburn women's basketball play-by-play announcer here on the show with us. Big win for Auburn women's basketball yesterday over a top 20 Georgia Tech squad in Atlanta. Program building win, and we'll have Britt with us coming up in a few minutes here on the show with us monday edition of the show if you want to air some grievances 334-321-1390 honestly we should have like a coat rack in the corner and just make today festivus because there's a lot to be upset about after this past weekend but likewise it's also iron bowl week and we'll have iron bowl coverage throughout the week here on on the line thursday will be our only day off this week we won't have a show on thursday but Today, tomorrow, Wednesday, and then also Black Friday, we are going to have shows here on On the Line. So stay up to date with us, and we will keep you going all throughout the week. Auburn basketball has a big Thanksgiving week tournament in the Battle for Atlantis. When's that first game? Is it tomorrow or Wednesday? I believe it's Wednesday at 1.30 against UConn. Well, darn, it's going to be on in the studio. I know. I was thinking about that earlier whenever I was looking <sighs> at it. I'm like, so you're telling me we're going to have to try and watch that while doing the show. I mean, it's that'll be fun, um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just the way it is. We'll preview that tournament matchup for Auburn on tomorrow's show, but we're still talking about Auburn, South Carolina. Which side of the ball? More criticism. Go. Offense. I, I think, think so too. I think both are, are deserving of criticism, especially after what on earth happened against Mississippi State last weekend. Uh, and there was still some things in this game where it's like, yeah, I'm not letting a third string transfer quarterback throw three touchdowns on my defense. No, thank you. Even though those were the only three touchdowns that they had, don't care, still shouldn't happen. Uh, it, but the offense, the play calling, uh, and just trying to, and this was a good point that you made earlier, Noah, that I kind of want to reiterate. Here you are with your backup quarterback on the road 
at night against a desperate football team, and you made him throw 32 times with one of the best running backs in the entire country healthy in your backfield. And there were certain key moments. He had his best game of the year, too. There are certain key moments in this game where T.J. Finley should not have been throwing the football. Even on, there, I remember there was a specific down, second down and eight, and I believe we were in their territory. This might have been the drive that we got the field goal. It was second down and eight, and my, my little brother was like, all right, Auburn's going to throw it here. I was like, well, they should run it because of the success that Tank has had. It'll get to third and short, and then you have the decision to either run it again or put T.J. Finley in a much better passing situation. So I'm beginning to think, not that it's not in the playbook, but the way that it is broken down from an analytical and schematic approach, when they're in second and long, there's a lot more pass plays in the playbook than there are run plays. Yep. This is a West Coast offense. Yep. And I've been alluding to that for the last couple of weeks that this is a pass first offense that is balanced out by the running game. This is about efficient quarterback play. Players like Tank Bigsby. You don't find those guys often in West Coast offensive schemes. Yep. And that's how Auburn's playing football. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say, while that may be true and that may be working for some people, and it may work for, for Auburn down the line once they get their recruits. I agree with you, by right, the way. Right, I'm saying you should change your scheme to so that. he should either change his scheme and understand his personnel. It's almost like Mike Bobo doesn't understand his personnel and this is something that we've talked a little bit about with the defense. It's like, okay, if we're going to try and install, and, and install Derek Mason's scheme and he's going to be here for a few years, then Auburn's going to try and hard-nose, brute force their way to making their scheme work from the jump, which is what they've done this season. They've not really tried to adapt. They've just said, this is the scheme we're running on defense. If the players can't execute it, it doesn't matter. We're, we're going to get players in the future that can. It looks very similar to the way the offense is operating. doesn't matter if we have the personnel to do it. We're going to try and do this. We're going to try and throw the football with our backup quarterback at night on the road mind you we're going to brute force it and if it doesn't work it's okay because we're going to bring in players that can later on down the line so it's 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 not adjusting to the players that you have now and I guess this coaching staff doesn't I I don't want to say that they don't care about success in year one but the way that they played on offense on Saturday did not indicate it because if they did they would have been a little bit more desperate and they would have run better plays and if I can uh, identify the fact that we should have run the ball on fourth and one or punted it, there's an issue in that coaching staff. Auburn has scored nine second-half points in their last four football games. Four. Not good. Second half's important, you know. Second half of our number one's important, too. Stay with us. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That'll put you through to On the Line. Talking about this South Carolina-Auburn game from this past Saturday. South Carolina 21, Auburn 17. A lot of things to be frustrated about this game. We've talked about the offense's inefficiencies in this game and I want to keep going there and then we'll switch to the defense in this segment but I want to wrap up that conversation about the offense look they were running the ball great South Carolina is a very poor run defense I think Tank was doing a lot of it not necessarily on his own because they were opening up lanes for him to run into but this was his best game of the season in terms of creating his own space 
breaking and avoiding tackles undeniably this was Tank Bigsby's best game of the season quarterback play what were your takeaways my takeaways were it was a bonix stat line from TJ Finley 17 of 32 188 yards 5.9 yards per attempt it's an old bonix stat line old bonix stat line i'm sorry the way the way that nick disrespect the way that that bonix has been playing in the back half of this season you know i i have a lot more of respect for him as a player now and after seeing the way that he's been able to operate and kind of build chemistry with some of these receivers that were absolutely terrible at the beginning of the year I have respect for the way that he he's playing the position now, and it was really giving me a lot of confidence for for uh, for next season with uh, with a lot of different guys coming back and hopefully Tank Bigsby coming back. T.J. Finley, though, I feel like he was inaccurate uh, quite a bit on Saturday. I feel like he was very inter- inaccurate with the way that he was throwing the ball downfield. Uh, there were just uh, some 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 moments in the game where it was like, man. That's uh, that's your that's your typical backup quarterback. That's the way Bonix played for the first two years of football. He was inaccurate. He didn't make great decisions. And overall, I don't think it was a, it was a terrible day from T.J. Finley. But it was not one. It was not one that would have put Auburn over the hump. And to be honest with you, I don't think it's fair to ask for him to go out there and to win this game for the Tigers because uh, because he's still the backup quarterback. And so obviously those flaws are going to show through, and they did in this game. Didn't win us the game, didn't lose us the game. Moments where I was frustrated, moments where I was like, you know what, that's just the way it's going to be. So that was my evaluation as he played like a backup quarterback. I thought he did fairly well in the circumstances because the offense, the training wheels were off. I don't think it was fully what it was built out with Bo Nix, but it was definitely... Still a lot of responsibility and pressure there on T.J. Finley. He had 32 pass attempts. A lot of responsibility was placed on his shoulders to help Auburn win this game. And I thought he performed pretty well at times. At other times, you're right. He's still a young backup quarterback. And he got outdueled by Jason Brown, who's 10 for 15 for 157 and three TDs and a pick. Jason Brown was clutch, and T.J. Finley... Aside from the one touchdown in the red zone, he didn't make a lot of key plays. I want to highlight one of his receivers, though, Cedric Jackson, man. Big game. Seven receptions, 111 yards, 59, 15.9 yards per catch. Cedric Jackson played really well. Uh, there's a lot to be frustrated there with this Auburn offense, and we'll keep breaking that down as well. But now we've got Britt Bowen, Auburn women's basketball play-by-play announcer with us on the show. Britt, how you doing today, my man? Hey guys, War Eagle. I'm doing great after yesterday. <laughs> War Eagle to you as well, man. A big win for the Auburn women's basketball program, getting their record up to two and two after knocking off a top eighteen Georgia Tech Yellow Jacket team. Take me through your takeaways from the performance. Man, it was stellar. Um, they, they came out and set the tone with their defense, and most importantly, they, they've done something that they hadn't done all year. They didn't turn the basketball over. I mean, they had single-digit turnovers for the first time all season long. And on the defense that they played and, and, and allowing themselves extra possessions by not giving the basketball away really gave them a chance to win. And uh, what was what was impressive to me, though, start, start to finish, was this team believed they could win. They didn't let any ranking or any records or, or anything like that uh, deter their – their confidence in themselves and their confidence in this coaching staff. And um, yesterday was just so important, not not just for this season, but 
for the foundation of the program that Coach Jay is trying to build. I mean, you that, that was a big stone that the Tigers played yesterday for this foundation, and uh, I, I really can't wait to see how they respond and if they're able to respond against a very good team in Little Rock on Wednesday. At one point in this game, Auburn held a 22-point lead. Georgia Tech chipped away at it, but Auburn eventually won by eight. What kept them in this game? What kept them fighting even though they were watching their lead dwindle? Well, it is one, Georgia Tech's a good team. They, they knew that Georgia Tech was going to make a run. Uh, but for Auburn, it was doing what they had been doing all game. And that's being calm in the half court and, and, and making plays to the basket. Um, they continued to play defense regardless that Georgia Tech it was, was starting to knock down a couple shots. And, and Georgia Tech, to their credit, now they, they changed defenses that, that kind of forced Auburn into a few more mistakes in the second half. Auburn exported their 2-3 zone in the first half. I mean, dominated, you can just tell by the halftime score. With Georgia Tech, they came out and ran man-to-man. And, uh, and that gave Auburn some trouble. But once Auburn slowed down and figured that out, uh, they were able to make some plays uh, primarily uh, with Honesty Scott Grayson. They knocked down a couple big shots on the outside. Um, they fed Aisha Kulabali, who played really well on the inside. And in the end, they were able to close it out. The big thing for Auburn down the stretch is Auburn shot free throws well. And Sanaya Wells um, didn't have a big day scoring, but she knocked down four clutch free throws in the fourth quarter that allowed Auburn to pull away and win this game. And that's another difference in the game for Georgia Tech. I think they shot around 50%, maybe a little better. And um, when you shoot free throws, especially well on the road, it's going to give you a chance to win. And that's what put Auburn over the edge yesterday. Auburn got out to a 19-6 to lead after the first quarter. Take me through what that defense looked like in the first period of play. It was a seller. They were, they were protecting the rim. They, they drew, I think, four charges in the first half yesterday, and Jayla Jordan drew three of those four. So um, they came in with a plan because Auburn was, was drastically undersized against Georgia Tech. I mean, Tech had three kids that were 6'3", six, 6'4", six, or taller. Um, Auburn doesn't have that kind of size. And especially with Romy Levy being out this year, Auburn's very thin in terms of depth inside the post. So for Auburn, they did a great job of protecting the rim. They knew Georgia Tech was not a great outside shooting team. And anytime Georgia Tech came to the basket, Auburn had a body there. Um, and Auburn rebounded well, despite being out-rebounded again. But with the height, they, they rebounded well enough to not allow Georgia Tech second chances in the first half. Georgia Tech couldn't buy one. In the first half, it honestly reminded me of, of the first game that Auburn had against Georgia, excuse me, Georgia Southern when Auburn was missing several layups in that game. Well, Georgia Tech just had a bad day shooting yesterday, but um, Georgia Tech didn't have a lot of good open looks either yesterday, and that, that's what's different about this Auburn team in 2021 is that they switched to a man-to-man defense. And, you know, traditionally under Coach Flo, Auburn, had played in a zone defense, full-court press, and Auburn will press a little bit now, but it's a completely different look. And that's what's so fun about this team is watching them get better and better, game in and game out with their man-to-man defense and, and learning how to play man-to-man. And I tell you, with uh, with the with the strategy change and the coaching change, it, it's really been impressive to watch this team learn Coach Jay's system because in basketball, everybody – wants to talk offense, right? Everybody wants to talk scoring, the double-doubles, and all the fun stats. Well, at this level, if you don't play defense, you're not going to win. And right now, in, in, in all four games, even the two games that Auburn has lost, Auburn has played pretty good defense. Now, their offense still has some work, 
But uh, I really like where their defense is. I mean, because like when Auburn lost to Old Dominion a couple weeks ago, I think they held Old Dominion to under 60 points. It's 57. Yeah, when you hold them to 57 points on the road, you should win the basketball game. And, and that's what, and that's what Coach Jay is trying to teach her kids. Looking, moving forward for Auburn, you're talking about improvement on the offensive side of the basketball, and it's clear to see that this team is rapidly improving after the the first two games of the season. It's clear to see how far they have come to now be able to beat a top 20 team in basketball. What does improvement on the offensive side look like? That's a good question. I, I think they, they're, they're going to need more consistent scoring, honestly, from, from honesty, Scott Grayson and also Aisha Koulibaly, those two players are going to have to score game in and game out. I mean, those are Auburn's big two, right? So Auburn just doesn't have the depth off the bench, so they're going to have to rely. They've got to get more scoring, I think, out of Saniah Wells, who has been great this year. I think she's hands down the most improved player from last year to this year, winning the point guard position, uh, learning how to take care of the basketball, and also, too, She's turning into a to a good mid-level scorer right now for Auburn. Um, I, I want to see more production from her, but also, too, from Kaye White and Annie Hughes. Kaye and Annie both have the ability to score. Annie, of course, from behind the arc at three. And then for Kaye White inside, I want to see Kaye be a little bit stronger and put up some more numbers and knock down those short jumpers in traffic underneath the basket. And if Auburn can get more out of those two, I think Auburn's offense will improve because – off the bench, look, <laughs> excuse me, guys, Jayla Jordan, she can come in. She can knock down a couple shots. Marshawn Bostic's very good at driving to the basket. Um, and they have a couple other players that can score in spots as well. But most of Auburn's scoring is going to come from the starting lineup. And for Annie Hughes, one thing this year I'm noticing more confidence from Annie. I, I want to see that confidence level imp- improve, continue to improve for her because last year, you know, when, when she really started to struggle, you, you, you could see it in her face. She just didn't have that, that confidence, that swagger that she's used to playing with. I mean, in high school, guys, she was one of the best shooters in the state of Alabama. She was Miss Basketball out of Pisgah High School. She, she's got what it takes, and I, I want to see her be able to pull up when, when she has the open look and not pass it off. And um, So far, she knocked down a big shot yesterday. Denia played well. It was a really good team win yesterday. Um, but for Auburn, they've got to continue to attack the paint because Auburn is not a three-point shooting team. They have the ability to knock them down when they need to, but they've got to continue to drive and get the ball inside. And, and Auburn's got to learn how to score um, against bigger teams inside because Auburn's going to be outmatched nearly every weekend in the SEC. That's just how it is. They, Auburn doesn't have a lot of size without Unique Thompson. So Auburn's got to learn how to be physical. And if they can do that and learn how to score through contact, uh, this offense is going to continue to get better. Next three games to round out the rest of November, Little Rock, Charleston Southern, and North Florida. What's the rest of this month look like in terms of opposition for Auburn? you got a game on Wednesday. Yeah, North, uh, Little Rock's going to be a really good test. They're out of the Sun Belt. Um, this is not a, a, a pushover game by any means. Um, this is going to be a tough road trip for Auburn. Um, I was actually in the middle of doing their prep now. Um, I don't have the teams right in front of my computer or, or excuse me, in front of me right now because I'm not on my computer, but they've got one kid that averages like 25 points a game right now, and she's, she's primarily their top scorer. I think she's 5'11", 6 foot, um, so she's going to be a, a 3, maybe a stretch 4 for Little Rock, so clearly she's going to be the one player that Auburn has to slow down. But the main thing for Auburn is 
they got to go on the road and, and play their game. They can't go um, still, you know, thinking they can just walk into any gym and, and win because they beat Georgia Tech. They've got to go in and put the effort in on the, on the floor and execute. Um, and that's what I want to see Auburn do on Wednesday is can they bounce back from a really, really good win against Georgia Tech this past weekend. Charleston Southern, going to be honest, guys, they aren't a very good team. Uh, that is a game that, that Auburn should win by 20 or more points if we play the way we're supposed to. And North Florida is a team that, that Auburn beat last year. So I would love to see Auburn come out with three wins and really go into the month of December with some momentum because December is not going to get any easier, guys. We go to Belmont, which is one of the best mid-major teams that – that in the country this year, they're they're a frequent visitor of the NCAA tournament, and then of course Auburn plays Oklahoma State in the SEC Big Twelve Challenge. So, um, some really big games coming up. Is um, Auburn's got to take it one game at a time, and I can tell you the coaching staff is because as happy as everybody was yesterday um, after the game at Georgia Tech, Coach Bob Starkey came over for an interview on the post game show, and um, the first thing I said to him was, "Coach, you you got to smile. You just upset a top twenty five team." And, he was so locked in, he said, to be honest, I'm already thinking about Little Rock. So this this team, the staff, they're locked in, and uh, it's going to be a fun one on Wednesday. And I tell you, if Auburn can go on the road and, and win Wednesday, um, it, that will be a good win. Again, despite non-conference, despite Sun Belt, all that stuff, Little Rock's a really good basketball team, and it's going to be a good test. Brett, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us on today's show. Uh, tell everybody where they could hear that women's basketball game on Wednesday against Arkansas Little Rock. Yeah, guys, it'll be uh, on Tiger 95.9 on Wednesday. We're actually switching over from WQSI 93.9 because Auburn men's basketball, they're going to be down in the Bahamas. Danny Burcham and uh, Joe Champy will have that call, I believe, starting at 1 or one thirty over in the Auburn Sports Network. So the women's basketball games on Tiger 95.9, airtime's at 11.45. Tune in. You can tune in to the Tiger, or you can also tune in on the Auburn Tigers app. We'd love the support. Appreciate it, Brett. Hope you have a good rest of your week, my man, and happy Thanksgiving. Hey, guys, appreciate it. Happy Thanksgiving, War Eagle. That was Brett Bowen, Auburn women's basketball play-by-play announcer here with us uh, for the – Monday edition of the show that Little Rock team they beat Memphis and Vanderbilt already this year yeah and the uh the uh player that he was referring to that averages 25 points a game dropped 32 points in that 55 to 50 win Sali Cora Uma I believe is how you uh pronounce her name Cora Uma I believe is how you pronounce her last name so uh if they can shut her down Auburn may have a legitimate chance to win Big game coming up on Wednesday at noon on SEC Network Plus and ESPN Plus. Big thank you there to Brett. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to wrap up hour number one of On the Line. Wrapping up hour number one of the Monday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on the show today. Number to call, 334-321-1390. A big thank you there to Brett Bowen. Auburn women's basketball play-by-play announcer joining us to talk some Auburn women's basketball. Big win for the Tigers, defeating number 18 Georgia Tech yesterday. At least one Auburn team got a big win over the weekend. May have not have been football, but still, at least somebody got a win. Ain't that right, Lance? Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly right. Auburn basketball getting the 58-52 to win over the South Florida Bulls. This was... 
initially for me, a really frustrating experience watching Auburn miss just about everything they threw up uh, during the first half. They were down by 15 points at one point, and you mentioned early, early in the show here that it might be Auburn's best win of the season and for me, I agree because of the way that they fought back. We didn't see it a lot last season. Oh, you're talking about men's basketball. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. What, what were we talking about? I was saying a big win for women's basketball over the weekend. Oh, But yeah. a big win for men's basketball thought, as well. I thought we were talking about just transitioning right on into men's basketball. Well, let's like, do sure. that then. Sure. Uh, yeah, so it was it was probably the biggest win of the season so far for the Tigers. Uh, and I and I you mentioned that earlier. I agree because of the way that they had to fight back last year's team. Whenever they got into a situation where they had to come out and they, they had to be clutch. Auburn couldn't do that. Shreve Cooper was terrible at it, uh, to be quite honest with you. And uh, at the end of the game, it didn't really feel like Auburn could get th- get it done. The year the team prior to that, the team full of uh, all those seniors Auburn was able, just about every time they went to overtime, they were able to get a win. Before overtime, they were usually able to clutch it out. And this year's team, after seeing the way that they were able to clutch things out after being down by one point, at one point by 15 points on the road when you weren't shooting well, if this team can go out and get a win over what is statistically a solid South Florida defense, if you can go out and get a win like that where you're not shooting the basketball very well but you're able to just grind a win out, I think that speaks volumes to the character of this team. Obviously, everybody loves to talk about the defensive intensity that Auburn has brought so far this season and how they're going to continue to do that. Absolutely love what I saw on Saturday in terms of the outcome. But I will say, you know, Auburn's got to learn how to be more consistent on the offensive side of the floor. And then I'll say for the women's basketball team, this is a program that has been not – how do I phrase this? This is a program that has been down and out for quite some time. And the fact that they were able to get their first top 25 road win since 2014. Within four games of her era. Within four games of of Johnny Harris being here. You look at what's happening right now. They're getting top 25 wins. You look at what's coming down the line. Auburn has one of the top 25 recruiting classes in the country. I believe they're at number 20, number 19, somewhere around there. This program is setting itself up for long-term success really excited to see what coach Johnny Harris does here in the future because it's very clear she's got that locker room together and she knows what she's doing she is building a program much like we saw Bruce Pearl do and she's got great coaches on staff very experienced coaches knows how to recruit really good coaches she did a phenomenal job putting together a staff and I think that uh Auburn is going to see the fruits uh, of their labor here in just uh, just a few short years it's going to be special I think Going back to what you were talking about with men's basketball, Auburn outscored USF 48-27 to from the six-minute mark of the first half. So six minutes left in the first half on. Auburn outscored USF 48-27. to I just think this was an instance of a slow start for Auburn. I'm glad that Bruce scheduled this game in Tampa mm-hmm. because this is where the SEC tournament's being played. And we all know how important for jump shooting teams backdrops are in unfamiliar environments. That's why teams have a harder time playing on the road. You just may not be accustomed to whatever basketball you're shooting. You may not be accustomed to what it looks like behind the goal. That messes with shooters. You know this. It messes with shooters. And so for Auburn to already get some experience there, they settled in. They outscored USF 48-27 to in the last... 26 minutes of the ball game so a little bit over a half they played well in the second half I thought they didn't play well for the majority of the first half but they wrapped it up very well ended both halves 
solid. And I think that there's a lot here to like about the men's basketball performance on Friday, even though it may have not have been clean. I definitely think it's the best performance that they've had, or, or at least the most meaningful performance that they've had at this point. We'll talk about more about that in hour number two of On the Line. Auburn men's basketball beats USF. We'll continue to talk about Auburn football struggles, as well as we'll have Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports with us. Previews now are both coming up. the line live on fox sports central alabama on 98.3 fm in birmingham and silicaga and in auburn on espn 1067 or online on fox sports 983.com and espnau.com you are on the line with noah gardner and lance daw join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. We found a coat rack. We put it in the studio. <laughs> it's Festivus time. 334-321-1390. Aaron Grievances, Monday edition of On the Line. Yeah, we've still got some uh, uh we've still got to air some grievances here on On the Line. Uh we've got some things to complain about after seeing what happened this weekend with Auburn football. It may not be Festivus yet. But it is here in the studio. It's Festivus for us, not the rest of us. 334-321-1390 is how you can call into the show and air your grievances about Auburn football. Or if you want to be happy, I'm here for that too. Yeah, tell me how I can spin this positively real quick. Look, I had family over this past weekend. We were all hanging out at the apartment. I was okay about two hours later. I was okay. Initially, I was upset. Mainly about officiating because that continues to haunt every single one of my teams on a weekly basis but you know I got over it I played some games and I was okay by the end of the night but you know I should have worn my, my officiating jersey that I've got should have worn it in the studio said that there was uh indisputable video evidence I should have argued against it or argued for it rather should have just been obnoxious that would have been fantastic but I actually uh, immediately following the game, I turned uh, to I think yeah it was, I turned to my brother and we were he was he was getting up to leave, uh, and I was like and he was like man that stuff stinks like he's not a big Auburn football fan he's like I'm actually mad about the way that it ended, and he he was like frustrated he's not somebody that really watches football a lot and I was like well uh, to to quote my my co-host for the past two or three weeks after we've come into the studio after a loss happiness. Your happiness cannot be dictated by the way that fo- football. Uh, You're goes. almost there. Football. My happiness di- will not be dictated by football. Yeah, specifically Auburn football. I mean, I can be happy about other things going on in the world of sports, but not specifically Auburn football cannot dictate my happiness. Nor will the refs determine it. <laughs> <laughs> Auburn. Auburn is seven and four right now. <laughs> in my mind. Oh, I don't man. know if you can go that I'm far kidding, kidding. because who knows if TJ Finley leads he, him down the field. Like I said earlier, I don't think he was. Because like you said, Auburn for three, three and a half quarters had proven that they probably weren't going to. There was a, there was a good chance that they were not. It's just upsetting that they didn't get the chance because Auburn got to play 55 minutes of football. They got their chance across 55 minutes rather than 60. 
Mm-hmm. And those last five minutes could have been the five minutes that Auburn needed to put themselves over the edge against South Carolina. So I understand a lot of people being upset about the fact that Auburn didn't get that opportunity based off of what was called on the field. I think it touched him, but there's the key word. I said, I think. I don't know, and there definitely wasn't enough there to overturn what happened on the field. Yep. I can't say without a shadow of a doubt it touched him either. I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't want to bet somebody a hundred bucks about it. <laughs> I think that's a really good point that you made. Is like, would you bet a hundred dollars on that? The fact that it touched and him. That's like, not that much money in the grand scheme of things. I mean, it's a decent amount, but like, it's not that much money. I'm not over here like, like I wouldn't bet a thousand dollars on a lot of things, right? But like, if I was really, really sure about something, I probably would bet somebody a hundred bucks. But not in this scenario. Yeah, exactly. And that's the whole point is that the fact that, like you mentioned earlier in the show, it was unknown. It, w- it therefore there was no indisputable video evidence unless the, the the officials are looking at some special camera that that got to see oh it brushed the the hair of his leg so therefore it touched him uh, every every video camera that ESPN was looking at was indicating that it was it was not indisputable video evidence and something that surprised me for the first time in what feels like forever both the color analyst and the announcer of an Auburn football game were saying yeah this probably doesn't look like it should be called the way that it's about to get called and then it got called that way and they were shocked by it against Auburn for the first time in a very long time that happened on an ESPN ESPN Saturday Night Football game <laughs> that happened. Auburn was actually the the announcers were actually saying, you know what, this shouldn't go against Auburn. Offensive play calling, we haven't finished that conversation yet, and then we'll talk about the defense here in this segment. Offensive play calling, I've talked about this several times throughout this football season. Here's the reality: Auburn's offense, it's a West Coast offense. They are going to opt for high efficiency quarterback play, which you didn't get on Saturday, just because of the nature that you're missing an offensive lineman, you're missing your lead target at wide receiver, and you're also missing your star quarterback, which I think we can say he is your star quarterback with the way that he was playing down the stretch for Auburn. You're missing all that. You're not going to get efficient quarterback play out of the backup. You're just not. But you had a hot hand at running back, so you'd think that the attention would shift from the passing game to the running game. But this coaching staff ran the ball 33 times, threw the ball 32 times. And balance doesn't necessarily have to mean, to a lot of coaches, it doesn't mean balance of play calls. It doesn't mean how many times you called runs and how many times you called passes. It means balance of yardage. Because in it, you know naturally, a pass play is going to go for more yards than a run play, or at least it should. So you, you theoretically, you should have to run more to achieve balance between your running game and your passing game. The problem is... Auburn still kind of got balanced, but it was because the passing game was so bad. And they had to throw a lot to get to that small margin. It was anything but efficient. TJ Finley's QB rating out of 100 at the end of the night was 27.6. That's horrible. A couple of things. First off, again, that goes back to either not understanding your personnel or just trying to brute force it, saying, I don't care that we don't have it's we have a backup court. I don't care that we have our backup quarterback on the road at night in a hostile environment against a desperate football team. We're going to do whatever the offensive game plan says, which apparently is have as even of a split as we possibly can between passing and running the football. And then I just realized, you know how earlier this season we were comparing uh, football coaches to Marvel characters? Mike Bobo is Thanos. He is Thanos. Perfectly balanced, as all things should be. I don't care if we need to run the the ball. Without the dominance? Yeah. Well, everybody called Thanos a madman. (laughs) Bobo. 
All right, <laughs> it'll be awesome if he comes out with like the best game plan on the planet against Alabama, and it's balanced. And then we could make the "they called me a madman" memes and put Bobo's face on Thanos. I can definitely see where where that happening is is happening. But point being, like you said, it is the latter. It's they're going to brute force this West Coast system. They're going to throw the ball as much as they want to. They're going to keep it balanced as much as they want to, regardless of what benefits them in the game plan which kind of scares me because if there are games down the line where they do have their players and they do have the guys that work well in a West Coast system, the offense is not performing well in a certain aspect, they're going to be like, eh, I don't really care. I guess we're just going to just going to throw the ball now, even though we should be running it. doesn't matter who the players are on the field. It's like, well, I guess we're just going to throw this ball now, even though this team that we're playing against has one of the worst rush defenses in the entire nation. Just going to throw the ball around to see what happens. It concerns me that they're, it's not necessarily arrogance or, or stupidity or ignorance or anything like that. It's just like they just don't care. Now let's talk about the defense because if you take the sacks out of the equation, South Carolina ran the ball pretty well. Zaquandre White had like 16 carries, I think, for 99 yards. He mm-hmm. averaged a little over six yards per carry. Am I right in saying that? If you can go find that box score for me. He may have had 14 carries. I can't remember. but yeah, 16 then, carries, 99 yards, 6.2 average. Kevin Harris averaged 4.8 yards per carry. Campbell with like 14 carries, something along those lines. You, you you look at South Carolina, if you take the sacks out of the equation, which they didn't pass protect very well for Jason Brown, but they didn't have to do it often. They only threw the ball 15 times. And he was 10 for 15 with three touchdowns. Three of his 10 passes went for touchdowns. Three of them. Now that's efficiency. He had 157 yards on 10 completions. Heisman. No, don't stop. <laughs> they made him look like a Heisman quarterback for a team that for a team that only threw the ball 15 times and ran for 41. Like you said, if three of your 10 pass attempts are going for touchdowns, it's, it's a pretty good offense, man. It's a pretty good offense. It's like Wal- and it's because they ran the ball so well. It's like great value brand Georgia. I mean, that's the way that they do it, right? They run the ball a bunch and then they let Stetson Bennett throw it and Lad McConkey or Brock Bowers is going to be open for a touchdown when they do. So even though. Auburn held them to 21 points. I don't think it was a good defensive performance either, but 21 should be enough to win you a football game. So I would, as you said earlier, I would put more of the criticism on the offense here for the reason why Auburn lost as opposed to the defense. But I don't think the defense gave me much hope for Auburn to be able to stop Alabama on its tracks this upcoming Saturday. Over under 45 points. For Alabama? Mm -hmm. I'm going to go under. I think they're going to play hard. Auburn played hard in this game. Don't don't come out here. I don't want the narrative to be out there that the team quit either. This is not about the team's motivation. Auburn came out motivated. They put up 14 on South Carolina in the opening quarter. They were up 14-0 to going to the second quarter. They came to play. They came ready to play. Their script this, came to play, and then the coaching staff bailed from it. The coaching staff, this for me, with back-to-back-to-back weeks, I said this to open the show, it was a colossal failure by the coaching staff. We can talk about execution as one-off things throughout this year, but when you've lost three games in a row and you can point to specific instances where the coaches made a decision that directly affected something in the game that ultimately directly affected the outcome because it led to points, that's where you can point to coaching. That's, that's my take for now. If you wanted to say it was execution in the A&M game, and then Auburn came back and beat Mississippi State and, and South Carolina next couple of weeks, I would agree with you that it was probably execution, even though I didn't love a ton of what Auburn did game-plan-wise game plan against A&M. You could say that it was execution in that. But the fact that it is a reoccurring issue, that is a coaching issue. 
Well, I'll say even if Auburn came back against Mississippi State and they came back against South Carolina, they, there's the key word. They had to make a comeback. After giving 40 unanswered points, if they had to make a comeback and win that game, I don't think that's necessarily on the execution. I think it's on the play calling defensively. And in this game... When I meant comeback, I meant came back after having lost to the A&M. Sure. But yeah, I understand yeah, what sure. you're saying, too. Sure, yeah. E- even in that scenario, it's still on the coaching staff. These past two weeks, say what you want about the A&M game, lack of execution, got it. These two past games against inferior competition, at least it looked like on paper, and I think still a lot of people today would say, whenever Auburn's healthy, yeah, these two teams are not better than the Auburn Tigers. Two teams that are historically inferior, and even up until this moment, I think are still inferior to Auburn. You 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 were not able to put together a, a competent performance against either for the, the majority of the ball game because of the way your coaching staff was operating things. The script for Auburn early is good. It's solid. It gets Auburn out to 28 to 3 and 14 to nothing against inferior competition. And a lot of other games too it's worked. In a lot of other games Auburn's gotten out hot. Started out hot. Like you continue to mention Noah and I think this is something that all, not a lot of people are talking about. Auburn's opening script against Man, Georgia incredible. should have been a touchdown drive. Man, Auburn's opening was, script against pretty much any opponent's been really good this but, year. But that that drive ended in a lack of execution. So there's that. But overall, the script was good. But against these past two opponents, after the script's gone, Auburn has fallen apart. Against again, against bad teams. I don't understand why this is happening after the team started the year off six and two and beat Arkansas and Ole Miss. I just I don't understand it. I don't understand it. It doesn't help the quarterback's gone, you know. Still, I even think if Bo was healthy in this game, you win this game and you win it big. If Bo was healthy, I think Auburn wins this game big. I don't, I don't th- think you see the fall apart that they had. But they shouldn't have lost even if he wasn't healthy. Exactly. I agree with that. Yeah. My point that I'm trying to make is I even think that Auburn could have – I think if Bo was healthy, Auburn would have bounced back in this game against South Carolina. But I think because Bo goes down and all of the stuff that happened that last week, like the injuries to your kicker, the injury to your quarterback, those two things – kind of added to the to confidence issues maybe I, I don't know I, I don't want to go as far as to say that they're that they're lacking confidence and I do think that this coaching staff should should share a ton of the responsibility for this for these losses if not all of it but this team is playing night and day different than what they were when they beat Ole Miss right mm-hmm. like this team looked so much better than this when they beat Ole Miss so what happened is it confidence I don't think it's a lack of motivation. They came to play. They got up 28-3 on Mississippi State. They got up 14-0 on, on, on South Carolina. So why is it deteriorating like this? And sometimes, you know, it can be a confidence thing. Sometimes it can be, you know, just things are – there's a bug, you know. Like sometimes yeah. the, the, like a team can just struggle with that type of stuff mentally. And I don't know if that's the case with Auburn because I'm with you. I don't know what's going on because when they were 6-2 and two and they beat Ole Miss, Auburn looked like they could have gone – and ran the table. They really did. Not maybe not not winning the SEC championship, but they looked like they could have won out in the regular season. They really did. They legitimately looked like they had the shot to do it. It was a combination of execution and 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 good and good play calling from this coaching staff. Not great play calling every single time Auburn stepped out onto the field, but good enough play calling for for the Tigers to get it done. I, I'm not saying the future of the program is in shambles because Mike Bobo and Derek Mason are, are not are not performing well. I, I do believe that Harson is definitely going to have to evaluate things at the end of this season. I just I'm just stunned 
at the way that the end of this year has turned out after such a promising beginning from Brian Harson. Now I want to play devil's advocate with you. All right. Gene Chizik's first year starts out 5-0, and loses five of his last seven games, including a loss to Kentucky, wins a national championship the next year. Now everybody can say, sure, that was Cam Newton, blah, 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 blah. Sure, yes. But still, nonetheless, what happened historically there was a coach who started out very hot and then the team fell apart on the back half of the season right and this was a later crumbling and you can point to several factors as far as injuries are concerned with this team crumbling right because I, once again i go back to a bow was healthy i think auburn wins this game and that's that's not me blaming anybody that's just the fact of the matter if auburn was fully healthy i think auburn wins this game but they're missing a lot of key players that that definitely hurts them too this team is not a team that has a whole lot of depth that you can point to when a guy when a star player goes down and you can say that across several games this year remember the georgia state game you don't have zacoby mcclain and how bad the run defense was defense was the first half i think owen papo was even nicked up at that time too and this Kobe mcclain comes back for the second half and things change tremendously in, in terms of run stopping you can point to several games this year where that was the case where you're missing key guys and then one guy coming back makes all the difference in the world so i don't think auburn's super deep right now and you can point to that to the previous coaching staff who left that area of the team pretty bare i think as far as starters are concerned this team is talented going down as far as depth is concerned not so much i think they are lacking a lot of depth and that would explain so many of the transfers that came in during the offseason to try and help this team out especially on the defensive side of the football offensively they're just young i think in that area but um this team it is it is definitely an enigma at this point I'm with you but you look at historically many first-year coaches have not had the success that their fan bases may have wanted to see I gotta remind everybody Nick Saban lost to ULM in late October early November he did in his first season that happened I'll say this I hope that Brian Harson is is like Gene Chizik in the way that he bounced back but also I hope Brian Harson is not Gene Chizik 100 percent. yeah i understand that i mean that that ended horribly too and and i knew somebody would point that out i'm just trying to say we have seen instances in history where a first year head coach has struggled in the back half of the year and then something great happened the next season so don't lose your minds right and we've even seen it at auburn and so you look at alabama they lost to ulm in year one that was in early november or late october when they were playing ulm Kirby Smart lost to Vanderbilt in their first season that he was at Georgia. And that was not a good first year at Georgia. And there were Georgia fans probably that were concerned with Kirby Smart, right? Because you knew they were talented. But you can look across the board at many first-year head coaches. And part of it's because they're bringing in a new culture. These guys, maybe their guys don't fit their system. Whatever it is, a coaching staff is going to come in. They're going to install the schemes and what they want to do on offense and defense. And they're going to establish that as part of their culture. And it takes time. It takes time to get their dudes for that. And Auburn right now, and we know this, is not recruited as well as the teams that are not South Carolina and Mississippi State, but Texas A&M, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Florida, all those teams recruit better than Auburn on, on a year-to-year basis. And so you get down to it, you're going to start seeing the effects of that in the future. And you and I talked about this in the preseason, about how concerned I was not about this year, but about next year. And if this is what's happened this year, That freaks me out about next year. So I totally get what you're saying about being concerned for the future for Auburn football. I'm not going so far as to say that dark days are ahead or anything like that over the next decade. I'm not saying that Auburn's going to fall off the planet Earth like Tennessee did because I think Auburn can bounce back. There's opportunity for it. But I'm definitely concerned with the amount of players that are leaving after this year from a graduation standpoint 
if you can't convince them to stay on their COVID year or maybe the transfer or they want to move on, you know, if Auburn doesn't get a massive influx of talent quickly, next year's going to even next year's coverage going to be even emptier than this year's from a talent and depth perspective. We all know that we were talking about in the preseason, right? And so that's what's concerning is what next year looks like. I'm not trying to discredit what you're saying about Chiswick bouncing back because I definitely think there is a reality where that happens. I just don't know if Auburn has the pieces to do it, not just next season, but for a while. I don't know if they're going to be able to. Well, it's how to, recruiting to, is played out. Exactly. So and you look at the recruiting, and while we only have eight months to to half a year to really glean anything from recruiting that's not a lot of time doesn't look very good right now and so just right now in the state of Auburn football just not not optimistic about the way things could play out but like you said there's also reason to believe that they also could succeed and I think you can still point back to Auburn six and two start and hope that things will get better down the line. And I'm definitely more concerned at this point about the defense than I am about the offense. This receiving core has shown growth in a big way and you're finally beginning to get a guy like Kobe Hudson into that receiver one category I believe I think he can be a wide receiver number one next year second full year of playing football this is it's like he's a freshman this year in my mind he had a COVID year last year it's like he's a freshman this year because he didn't play hardly at all last season and now he's getting a full year under his belt and he's really grown you can see the strides that this receiving core has taken I think the receivers will be fine next year I don't think that'll be a weakness for Auburn next year especially with a full offseason to work with these guys if you've seen the growth that you have since the Georgia State game to where we're at now you best believe that these receivers are going to get a lot better in a spring and an offseason right I think quarterback you get Bo Nix back we've seen the strides that he's taken what does an offseason look like for him after we've seen the growth that we've seen from him even from game one to where we're at right now I think they're going to bring in some transfers on the offensive line hopefully you've got your entire backfield back the offense isn't necessarily the side of the ball that I'm that concerned about believe it or not it's the defense the defense is the side of the football that could lose a lot of talent whether it be transfers guys going to the draft guys graduating whatever it may be because you're going to lose several pieces on the d-line you're going to lose half of your secondary you're going to lose all of your linebackers unless Papo decides to come back I just and technically all these guys could decide to come back because of COVID and be you know super seniors but the question is, will they after the way that this year could end? So let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we continue to talk Auburn men's basketball. The other side of this break, they had a big win over USF. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We're going to talk a little college basketball now. Coming up at 3.30, we got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports with us to talk about the Alabama Crimson Tide as well as the Auburn Tigers. You know, there's a big game this Saturday. It's not as big as we thought it was going to be about three weeks ago, but there's a big game this Saturday. For uh, for, for Auburn football, you mean? Or yes. for Auburn basketball? Yeah. The line for that game, by the way, if anybody is curious, the line for the Auburn-Alabama game is 19 and a half right now. Does it grow? Uh, it opened at 19. So, so yes, yes it does. So yes, yes it does. <laughs> um, would you take Auburn to cover that right now? Mm, no, probably not. No, <laughs> I'm not. not. Yeah, uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk with Jeremy. I don't in just think a little bit. Auburn's gonna get eviscerated on Saturday. I do. You think so? Yeah, I think this team's given up after seeing what happened this past weekend. Yeah. I don't think they've given up. I check out. Maybe that's just me. I don't. But th- it's but you're not. 
you know, you haven't played in this rivalry, right? Like you're not an Auburn football player. Like you don't not not nothing against you or anything. Thank I'm just goodness. saying you don't have <laughs> you don't have the pride of playing in this game. Like we've seen some really bad Auburn teams play Alabama at home and not have a, over the course of history not not have no business and even you know competing in that game and we competed or won and i think you can look at the 2015 game as an example of that but also 2011 i thought they hung for a little bit also auburn was playing jake coker they're not playing jake coker this weekend it's fair they're playing bryce young they're playing bryce stinking young but so. they're also playing the worst alabama offensive line that i can remember but auburn's defense is not playing very well right now yeah yeah I'm trying to pull at straws, man. Hey, also, you could look at the fact that, I don't know, Arkansas was only only lost by seven to Alabama on the road. Did you watch that game? I did. It was an, an incredible I game. I don't think Jamison Williams caught that ball in play. I don't know if he did either. That ball was moving as he was headed out of bounds. Also, props to uh, Arkansas for rushing three in that situation. It's like, you know what? Our rush has gotten home consistently in this game. We've gotten some stops. Why don't we just rush three and just see if they can beat us over the top so real quick? Here's oh, what, there he goes. Here's what bothers me about Alabama right now. I don't think they're playing well, and I don't know if they're, they'll ever get to that point of playing well, but even while they're not playing well, they have so much more talent than everybody else that they are just – they're doesn't still going to be able to beat you. It doesn't matter. I was uh, watching this game with some family members, and they threw a slant to Jamison Williams in that game against Arkansas, and he just house-called it. It wasn't bad coverage. It was good coverage. It was just a great throw in stride, and Jamison Williams didn't have to break stride to catch it. He was able to just keep sprinting onto the reception, and then nobody's going to catch Jamison Williams in a track race. And then the same thing with the downfield ball to Bryce Young. Any uh, From Bryce Young to Jamison Williams earlier in the ballgame, because he, you know, Jamison Williams had like 50 80-yard touchdown receptions in that game. But earlier in the ballgame, not the one that closed the game out, but earlier, I think it was before halftime, they chunk it downfield, and there were three Arkansas Razorbacks in coverage. I think they had cover three, and all of the guys were converging on it. Any other quarterback doesn't make that pristine of a throw, and it's either batted down or picked off, and it's into coverage. But because Jamison Williams is so fast, and Bryce Young has so much touch on the ball, he is literally able to throw it into the smallest of windows downfield, for his receiver to run onto it, catch it, not have to break stride, and go all the way. Over three guys who I thought played pretty well, pretty good coverage there. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is how good this team is, is that a quarterback and his receivers are literally so much in tune right now that the dude threw for over 500 yards. And I don't think Arkansas played that bad of coverage. What does that look like against Auburn secondary? Who does not know how to cover very well. Could I not understand. stop wind right now. Understand, but it's also you know this as well as I do. You can't look at this game that way. You can't look at this game in in, in terms of logic because oftentimes it defies logic. Yeah, I will. I will say though, I'm going to look at it that that way so that if they do keep it close, I'll be happy. I don't want to go into this game with expectations. There is no reason right now why I should have expectations for this football team. No, I mean, I think Auburn loses by three touchdowns. I'm just saying I think it could be competitive for a little bit. Well, talk me into it as the week goes on. I'll try. As you, as all of our listeners know, I tried. Jeremy Law is going to do it on the other side of the break. He'll talk you into he it because he's not optimistic. He is scared out of his mind. We'll talk to Jeremy Law, Radio Alabama Sports, when we come back. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. 
Hour number two of On the Line. Got about 30 minutes left in the Monday edition of the show. Then it'll be The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports joining us on the phone lines now. Jeremy, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing well. I'm getting the uh, the meter in from this show, and you guys are off the charts today. I know on your side of the state, everything's not going super well. Got Did the ball hit him or did it not hit him? Look, I think, and some Auburn folks may be mad at me for saying this, I think it hit him, but, big but here, you did not have enough on the video replay to overturn that. And just because I think it hit him also does not mean that there was indisputable evidence. So would I bet $100 with somebody that it hit him or it didn't hit him? No way, man. Not a chance. And so that's why I think the refs got it wrong. I thought it did hit him, but it was so close that – uh, they, did, I don't think the refs did they ever say what the call was on the field? I just thought it was weird, but they said it did not Auburn, hit him on the field. A uh, tough way to go out, you know. I've seen Auburn have magic before, and it was a shame that TJ Finley didn't have the last two minutes to go down the field and at least chunk one towards the end zone uh, in that game. Yeah, it's tough to see. So, what were your takeaways from that game before we get to Alabama? Uh, man, yeah, your your listeners don't want to hear me talk about Auburn, but listen, I thought I thought that you know the first two or so drives they looked pretty good, but I just think that Auburn, if they're not gonna throw the bag out in the South Carolina game of the bag of tricks, they were gonna be it was gonna be an uphill battle for them on the road. Now Auburn still has more talent, but if they weren't gonna go full creative mode with T.J. Finley, that that offense is gonna be limited. I think you can really see the the improvement of Bo Nix now that he's not in the game. I mean, the guy was the Auburn highlight tape this year. So without him, it's going to be hard for them to win Saturday, obviously. But, you know, never count anything out uh, when Alabama's visiting Jordan-Hare. Take us through Alabama's win over Arkansas. That had to be an angering affair for you, somebody who would like to see his defense play a lot better than it did, and the same about the offensive line. Well, I, I thought the offensive line played pretty well. I mean, Damian George, they bull rushed his side, and he gave up two sacks. One of those sacks, Alabama throws a 79-yard touchdown to play later, so you're not too mad at him. But I think a bit, there's a bigger problem is that Alabama's had guys on the roster, including a Kool-Aid McKinstry, including a Damian George, including a Brian Branch, that were better than the guys that were in front of them all year and Saban used the, the loyalty that he has to those guys and he wouldn't pull them. And, uh, and I mean, listen, Josh Job gets benched in the game because he can't cover anybody. Not only can he not cover him, he's getting beat by 10, 15 yards on a play. So it took you 11 weeks to, to find out that Kool-Aid McKinstry is better than Josh Job. It took you 10 games and an injury to your center to put somebody else at right tackle because Chris Owens was completely incapable of handling any type of bull rush off the right side of that offensive line, whether he knew the play call or he didn't. Uh, for Alabama fans, it's a little head-scratcher seeing a lot of new guys come in, the, come in the game and make plays and play better than the guy that, were, that was in front of them for 10 weeks. But, listen, the Alabama's pass defense is 71st in the nation. They're horrible. They're bad. They would die to have Carl Scott back coaching uh, the defensive backs and uh, they're just kind of lost out there. And I thought the linebackers played great. 
I thought the defensive line played pretty well, especially especially since D.J. Dale just decided that he wasn't going to play before the game because he thought he might have hurt something, although Nick Saban said after the game they'd already done all the measures. They'd already looked at everything that he had, and everything looked okay. Um, so they went into that without a little depth across the defensive line, one of their you know first four guys off the bench on, on the defensive front. But the offense played phenomenal. Cameron Lofton and the tight ends continue to be a problem for Alabama because they can't hold on to the ball. They can't catch the ball, and when they do catch it, they're going to fumble it. But, man, Alabama had a chance to score 60-plus in that game. Bryce takes a bad sack. Lofton fumbles on the three. Uh, had plenty of chances to put the game away, and they just didn't do it, which I think for a lot of Alabama fans is when they look at this team, and that's what makes it different than um, <coughs> excuse me, any other Alabama team that was great in the past. And you talk about Pete Golding. Uh, his whole career at Alabama, he's gotten one stop when it really mattered, and that was LSU a couple weeks ago. Any other game that there's been any type of pressure on this Alabama defense, he's never been able to get a stop. He didn't get it Saturday. Could have put Arkansas down. Instead, it was up to an onside kick with a minute and 20 seconds to go. So Alabama fans aren't happy about the defense. They were lights out, excited about this offense. And uh, make no mistake about it, Alabama is an air raid pass first team. And if they want to win a national title, that's what they're going to have to continue to do because they're just, just quite frankly, not going to be a good running team. Bryce Young, obviously a phenomenal performance on Saturday against Arkansas. It looks like C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young are kind of in a competition at the top of the Heisman race. What do you think about Bryce Young's Heisman odds? Do you think he's the front runner, and do you think he should win, or is there another guy you're looking at? I think right now Bryce should probably win it. Now he does have a couple more touchdowns, I think, total. But Bryce Young's going to have to make the college football playoff, or they're going to love, they're going to want to give it to C.J. Stroud. You got to realize there's tons of Heisman voters out there that don't like Alabama. They only have what is that three guys that can vote for the Heisman Trophy, and almost everybody ends up voting against those guys out of previous winners. Um, but you know Bryce Bryce played great, but I know Bryce isn't focused on any of that stuff. If you look at his demeanor, if you look at the way they plays the game, when guys make mistakes, he doesn't get down. He's not too high, not too low. Bryce Young's focused on playing Auburn, getting better this week. And I honestly think at this point, no matter what Alabama does against Auburn, it's all about the SEC title game. They have to beat Georgia to get into the college football playoff. So Alabama's going to use this week, go to Jordan-Hare, hopefully get a win, hopefully get better, and then all focus turns to the Georgia Bulldogs where you know that's really where your fate is going to lie to close out the year. Jeremy, you just talked about the college football playoff there. Should a two-loss Alabama get in over an undefeated Cincinnati? Um, I just let me ask you this question: If Alabama beats Georgia and they end the year with four college football playoff top twenty-five wins, one of those against what's going to be a top fifteen Ole Miss or maybe a top ten Ole Miss, another one of those against the Georgia Bulldogs, do you think they should get over, get in over Cincinnati, who has played close game after close game with pulses? Yeah, they beat Notre Dame, and Notre Dame's going to continue to climb, but do you think that team deserves to get in over Alabama that has four? No, I, should, I probably should have I probably should have clarified my question a little bit better. Say Alabama loses to Georgia in the SEC championship, and Alabama's two loss. Should a two-loss Alabama team get in over a Cincinnati team that's winless? Oh, no, listen, if they uh, don't, to, listen, if they, if they lose to Auburn, I mean, if, if they can't beat Georgia – um, then and and and, potentially, and win the conference this year is going to be one of those years. I'm not sure that they deserve it, you know. So if they beat Auburn and they lose to Georgia, I don't think they're. I don't think they should get in. 
Um, you know, Cincinnati's going to have a top 10 win sitting there undefeated. This feels like the year that all the pressure is on the committee to put a team like Cincinnati in, especially since Oregon just did what Oregon did. Um, there's going to be heat on Alabama, and I'm not so sure they're going to be able to put a two-loss Alabama in regardless. There will be a lot, lot of flack for this committee to put a two-loss Alabama team in the playoff. What do you expect to see out of Alabama this Saturday against Auburn? Well, you know, both these teams come in with really bad pass defenses. You're gonna, I think both teams are going to try to throw the ball a lot. I think Alabama, listen, they're called off guard almost every game because the Pete Golden continues to say and Saban continues to say that teams are just throwing stuff at us that's not on tape because they're Alabama. It'd be the signature win of their year if they could beat Alabama. And I think there's a lot of that stuff still in Mike Bobo's playbook. He hasn't ran a lot of tricks this year. I'm not sure how much you can do with T.J. Finley, but it's schematically, and when you talk about, you know, what what you do out of certain formations and do you do you do do you do some different things do you kind of cross over on tendencies of what you do in some formations versus other formations i think auburn's going to try to mix it up a lot in this game show alabama some looks that they're not really prepared for and i think defensively um derrick mason should do the same thing he should blitz if it's in his bag he should use the bag in this game but i think alabama can do a little bit of the same and the key for alabama is to get off to a good start Quiet that crowd down, which is going to be loud no matter what Auburn's record is, especially starting off in the ballgame. Can Alabama get a couple stops, and can Alabama get a couple scores and really settle things down in Jordan here? Jeremy, the line right now is at 19.5. Where do you stand on that? Uh, there's no cover here, guy. Al, if Alabama got it to 14, I think that I think 14.5 would have been a good line, but 19.5 in Jordan Hare Stadium, a place where Nick Saban, quite frankly, doesn't have a lot of luck. And, um, you know, this is just one of those years that, you know, it could be that bad, but I'm going to have to see it to believe it. And if Alabama's defense was up to par, I might actually think about taking it. But these guys, they have so many tendencies. They tend to bust two or three times a game for scores, as you saw Saturday, as you saw against Texas A&M, as you saw against Tennessee. Auburn's going to sneak a couple um, touchdowns into the end zone because Alabama's just not going to be ready for what they're doing, whether that be for preparation or just the wrong call, or just they're not lined up right. This defense has a lot of problems, and I think that almost anybody would be would, could and probably will, especially down the stretch, you know, score some touchdowns against Alabama that they probably shouldn't score. I know that this is the Iron Bowl. It's obviously the most important game on the schedule for Alabama every single year, but do you think Alabama is either prepping or looking ahead to the SEC championship game at all, even though this game is very much so still important this weekend? Uh, Nick Saban's not overlooking this one. <clears throat> they were looking at Auburn during the bye week. If they overlooked anybody, it was probably the LSU Tigers, and that almost came back to bite them. This team, and Nick Saban, I think, knows it, that this, Al- this Alabama team, they can't afford to look ahead and they're playing a quarterback in tj finley who put up some decent numbers against alabama last year with to me a less talented roster at least what was left of that lsu roster last year than what tj finley is going to be on the field with this week you've got to play tanks bigsby who to me is probably better than anybody on alabama's defense outside of will anderson and henry tolotolo so you know as just pure athletic i think tank bigsby is better than most of those guys outside of those two so there's some good things that can happen for Auburn in this game, but can they get out of their own way? Can Mike Bobo make any adjustments? And can Pete Golden get this defense to play up to standard? I think that's going to be the big key. Jeremy, you got a final score prediction for us before we let you get out of here? Yeah, listen, man, Bryce Young has been he has been really, really good. Um, he hasn't thrown an interception.
interception in what feels like forever. Continues to light up the scoreboard, and you're starting to see some younger receivers play. They're using the tight ends a little bit more. Ja'Cory Brooks making a catch, um, using the tight end. Christian Leary scoring a touchdown. Bill O'Brien has kind of opened things up a little bit offensively, and it started with that offensive line. I, I like Alabama 34-17. I think Auburn can score 17 points in this game. I don't think that's far-fetched. I think Alabama's defense is good for a bust or two to put Auburn in good situations. But at the end of the day, Alabama's just a little too talented on offense. I like 34-17, no 20-and-a-half-point cover. Jeremy, before I get out of here, sell, uh, sell folks out there why Will Anderson should win the Heisman. Uh, well, uh, Arkansas, you know, they use some two, sometimes three guys to keep him out of the backfield, and he was still very disruptive. And I just think from that, from that position – it's tough to see how you truly affect the game if you're not getting the sacks because other teams are completely scheming their defense to go away from you. He's been, I won't, is he, has he been the best player? I'm not sure. I think Stroud's up there, Bryce is up there, but he has by far and away been the most disruptive player on any defense in the country. And if you don't bring your A game as a right tackle and put a tight end on top of him, he's going to live in your backfield a lot. And I think Will Anderson, he wants to get in that Auburn backfield Saturday. Jeremy, appreciate you taking the time to speak with us, my man. I hope you have a good rest of your week. Thanks, guys. Have a happy Thanksgiving. You too, my friend. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well. Uh, that was Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports. We wrap up the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl with you. Ramping up the Monday edition of On the Line. Lance, some good college basketball tonight. Yeah, let's go ahead and take a look at the slate. Obviously, Auburn uh, taking on UConn on later, uh, later on this week on Wednesday. Let's take a look. Let's see. Ohio State and Seton Hall are playing later on tonight. That should be a fun game. Uh, Cincinnati and Illinois. I believe Cincinnati is getting back their, their center. What's this? Not sure. They're 4-0, though, and Cincinnati's favored by 9.5, but... It was, um, it was the center that was uh, with them on their NCAA tournament run. Really talented. He's like seven feet not tall. not coming to mind right now. I don't, I don't remember. But they're, they're, they're getting him back after he almost transferred uh, this offseason. Uh, Arkansas playing Kansas State. Number 13 ranked Arkansas playing Kansas State. That should be an interesting matchup. A matchup that I will be playing, paying close attention to that nobody really cares about. Kentucky against 0-4 Albany. Uh, that, that's going to be a matchup I'm looking at as I do uh, the Locked On Kentucky podcast. Going to break that down game down tomorrow. But yeah, overall, some uh, some really good college football uh, or college basketball games. Excuse me, rather uh, at this time of the season. And also, the reason that I think all of the matchups are really good is we're getting into that early preseason like classics and tournaments and different things that, like this that. This is the week right here. This, this is, is the it. week. This is the uh, if you're going to be watching some early college basketball, if you're going to dip out. Uh, before March Madness starts, you need to watch some some college basketball this week. Ohio State plays a newly ranked Seton Hall team at 5 o'clock on FS1. Seton Hall undefeated. If you'll remember, last week they beat Michigan. Michigan got thumped last night by Arizona. Seton Hall at 3-0 now, ranked 21. You already mentioned Illinois, Cincinnati. Maui Jim Maui Invitational got started tonight, by the way, uh, or today, I should say. Earlier, Texas A&M was playing in it, and then currently, Butler-Houston's in the first half on ESPN2. Houston's up 20-3 to on Butler. Wow, Butler scored three points in almost the first 10, 10 minutes. minutes. Yeah, 
Arkansas-Kansas State is tonight at the Hall of Fame Classic at 8 on ESPN Network, or excuse me, ESPN News, uh, part of the ESPN Network. California at number 23, Florida, 7.30 p.m. on FS1. That's in the Fort Myers tip-off, same, same tournament as Ohio State, Seton Hall. Uh, Notre Dame's uh, playing St. Mary's tonight out of the Maui Jim Maui Invitational. Virginia, Georgia, and the Roman Legends Classic. That was a tournament that Auburn played in a few years ago. There's some there's some good basketball on tonight, but this is just the tip of the iceberg this week. This is like the early tournament action. This right. isn't even the thick of it yet because a lot of the tournaments start on Wednesday or Tuesday. A game that we didn't talk about, Oregon in the Maui Invitational. Oregon against Chaminade. Yeah. Don't they, they're, they're always there, but they always get blown out. And I think they – didn't they win a game last year? I might be mistaken, so, but yeah. they, very recently they won a game like for the first time in forever. It's like, good, good job, Chaminade. And then Providence Northwestern, that one's on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, Missouri-Florida State, somehow that one's not televised. I think that one actually may be an okay game. Really? Belmont-LSU is on SEC Network Plus, but I would have loved to have seen that one televised on SEC Network. But I don't know if there is a game on SEC Network tonight. They just gave up? I don't know what they're showing on SEC Network tonight. Georgia and uh, Virginia and the Legends Classic, that's on ESPNU. Probably not a lot of points going to be scored in that ball game. I, mean, I, think, I think that would have been an option to put on SEC Network tonight for sure. Oh, Belmont-LSU sure. would have been a great game. But that's not going to make it onto television. Um, so yeah, nice slate of games in college basketball tonight as tournament play starting to get uh, is beginning to get started. I'll look at some of the results that happened already today. Really, the only game that matters: first round game, Maui Jim Maui Invitational, Wisconsin beat Texas A&M sixty nine to fifty eight, and then of course uh, score right now active. Houston's up twenty to three on Butler with eleven forty two left in the first half, and then tomorrow there will be a lot more tournaments getting started as well as into Wednesday. There's going to be Great basketball throughout the entire week. Tomorrow, Gonzaga and UCLA play one versus two. And uh, that will be really exciting to see, especially after watching the way that UCLA uh, defeated Villanova, who is a good basketball team earlier on in the season and overtime. After watching a little bit of Gonzaga basketball so far this year, it's very clear. It's like, oh, well, now they've got – uh, Chet Holmgren, Drew Timmy still playing well. This is still very much so a dangerous basketball team. If Johnny Jujang can uh, can shoot as well as he has so far this season, if he can, ten- can uh, continue to do that in this game, uh, this should be a very exciting matchup. That's going to be at 9 o'clock at night, though. Johnny Jujang, by the way, averaging 21.5 points. Battle for Atlanta starts on Wednesday, of course. That's the tournament that Auburn's playing in. Auburn, I believe, is in the only ranked-on-ranked matchup. It's it's crazy how Battle for Atlanta's had a lot of hype. A lot of these teams this year, not very good. Auburn and UConn may very well be the two best teams in this field. Syracuse is at 2-1. VCU's 2-2. Arizona State's at 2-2. Baylor, okay, I forgot about Baylor. Baylor, Baylor's the best team in, in this field. But then Auburn and UConn are right there behind them. And then Michigan State's down. This is not as good of a field as you thought it was going to be coming in. And Loyola Chicago, obviously, they're they're good, but not as good as they were when Porter Moser was there. Also on Wednesday getting started, the NIT tournament will be going on. You know, the, the regular season NIT tournament will be happening. That'll be a fun game to keep an eye on. I would love to see Auburn kind of kind of ignite things offensively against the Huskies. The Huskies, the most points they've allowed this season so far has been 63. You've given up 48, 54, 40, and 63. Now they've played a bunch of terrible teams, a bunch of terrible opponents, but they've, uh, they've been able to kind of weather the storm and beat the teams that they should beat so far this season. I want to see Auburn get back to shooting the basketball well. Wendell Green Jr., I don't believe he had a single point uh, on Friday against South Florida. would like to see him get back in the scoring column. 
I'm concerned about this Huskies team, and obviously we'll break them down more in detail tomorrow. But for me, this is less on on analyzing UConn and more analyzing, okay, what can Auburn do in this tournament to get better? Because they are going up against good competition, but I think it's important to focus on specifically offensively, okay, what does this Tigers team have to do to get better? Who are the guys that they should be looking at more often? Which, by the way, Devin Cambridge, who uh, did not make any of the six threes that he chucked up on Friday – that's something that Auburn should also evaluate. How many touches are we getting guys that just cannot knock it down consistently from beyond the arc? And then ESPN Events Invitational at the end of the week on Thursday on Thanksgiving, Alabama, Iona, two undefeated teams, the Fighting Rick Patinos, the Gales. That'll be a big one in Orlando. That's it for the Monday edition of On the Line. We're done airing our grievances over the weekend. We transition to the Iron Bowl talk tomorrow and Auburn basketball.